It's Friday night. What places are you heading to for post-work happy hour? Tell us. This podcast is making a best of the best list and needs recommendation for happy hour menus at restaurants in KC. Text us at 816-601-4777. That's 816-601-4777. Standard texting rates apply. UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. This is UpToDate on KCUR 89.3. I'm Steve Kraske. Mayor Quentin Lucas is here in the studio with me for the hour, and we'll kick off this new year. As, as usual, there's a lot to cover. There's the Royals downtown baseball stadium and, hey, what to do about the Chiefs? There's the ongoing crime issue and if a crime-fighting model based on a successful program in Omaha will make any difference. And there's a new push to require all landlords to accept housing vouchers as a way to more fully integrate the city. Mayor, welcome back. Always good to have you here and Happy New Year to you. It is great to be with you. Happy New Year, Steve, and Happy New Year to everybody in town. So how do, does the mayor of a major metropolitan city in the new year? You do a lot of different Kansas City events. So I was at Arrowhead Stadium. I made it through Union Station, had a chance to wow. see my family, but it is more than anything a celebration of Kansas City and had a, a very good dinner in Kansas City that night too, but nothing too wild and uh, just resting up for another exciting year. Do you have a chance to uh, recharge a bit over the holidays in a situation like this, or as mayor, are you sort of always on and got to be ready? You know, I, I try my best to make sure that I'm still attending things, working through the holiday season, was at police headquarters for their final shoot review of the year, for example, but do get a few days out of the office, get a chance to your family because you are only at your best, of course, if you are able to recharge. And I encourage that not just for me, but our entire staff. Okay. Well, turns out you have resolutions as they pertain to Kansas City in 2024. You mentioned these in a recent editorial in The Star. For one, KCI will get more international flights next year. What are you, what are you thinking Something about? Something we're very excited about with that. We have continued to work with our Deputy Director of Aviation, Justin Meyer, who does outstanding work, and our partner airlines to see where there are good flight opportunities for Kansas City in the future. The, the big attention getter is typically a transatlantic flight. That's something that we are particularly interested in, particularly London, uh, for example, but also looking at more opportunities in Canada, Mexico, and Point South. So look over this year for us to do more work towards things like Mexico City, looking at more work to see if we can restore our Canadian flights, and certainly increasing even our domestic flight options, not your question, but something that's important for us on both coasts. The new KCI is something that's attractive to airlines, and the last year I've had the chance to visit with people from Air France and United and, and any number of other airlines to talk about how exciting it can be. Our aviation department does even more of that work, and this is something I think we'll see change on in the year ahead. I was going to say, it sounds like you anticipate something happening here. I do anticipate something happening. Now, we'll never get ahead of ourselves. We know that it is a business decision more than anything. It's not about them liking us. It's about whether we can fill up enough seats, whether there are enough business travelers to sustain certain routes. And there will still always be in Kansas City that seasonal type of route, the summer and spring season when our, our hospitality industry and others get a little more active. And so I think we are looking forward to that. But that's something that I think is important as we get ahead of the World Cup in 2026. We know we'll have flights for people to get here then. We want to make sure they know we're an international city before and long after. 
Another resolution you've mentioned, we'll talk more about this later, the Chiefs and the Royals will stay in Kansas City, you say? The Chiefs and the Royals are staying. You know, we have all spent a lot of airtime talking about the twists and turns of this issue. I I said it actually, I feel like, at the beginning of last year, and I'm not changing. I think the Kansas City Royals will be playing in downtown Kansas City by the end of this decade. I believe that the Kansas City Chiefs will remain at Arrowhead Stadium, and you will see attendant renovations and improvements to the Truman Sports Complex itself. Those conversations are ongoing. I have talked to not just the teams, but my friends at the county. Look forward to doing that again soon in connection with how we can actually make sure this gets delivered a little bit more quickly for us long term. Do you have any reason to believe that the Chiefs and the Royals are, in fact, going to do what you just said they're going to do? Will the Royals move downtown? Is there momentum in that direction? I think there is momentum in that direction, and I think that you will see answers and solutions necessarily in the next few weeks. As everyone who's, who's been kind of watching closely knows, the question of whether this gets put on the ballot, a renewal of the sales tax in April, in April uh, is something that needs to be decided by the Jackson County Legislature by January 23rd-ish, I believe. And uh, so that means really in the days ahead, we will look towards some final deals and arrangements. I think there is active work. I won't even you know tiptoe around the issue. There is active work, a number of different jurisdictions engaged, including the city of Kansas City, because any big investment in any part of our city will require zoning conversations as well as probably incentive discussions. That is something that I think gets decided soon. I think we can put this issue to bed, and I think both teams can continue to be in Kansas City for another 50 years. So what do you anticipate here, Mayor? The East Village site for a new Royals downtown baseball stadium, the former Star Printing Press location. What, do you, what are we looking at here? You know, I think that that both of those uh, areas are being pretty actively evaluated right now. Certainly the East Village has the attractiveness of basically being cleared. If you ever drive that end of downtown, you see that there's not a lot there, so you can put in a footprint pretty quickly. The advantage, of course, to the old Star Printing Press is kind of the nearby activity. You have the Fortune of Power and Light District, T-Mobile Center, many other things near you, and kind of that enhanced walkability. I think the Royals are evaluating all of those, but an important question that still has not been answered, and is an important one is how much money and funding are the Royals putting in? What does the package look like? I mean, a lot of people, we are spending a lot of time talking about the the county's investment. It's about $350 million if you just renew the sales tax. But usually the cost for this stadium is closer to a billion. Where are you filling that gap in? Where does that come from? And I think that's what's most important. I do know there are a lot of people who say that we don't want to increase taxes for a stadium, and I'm sympathetic to that thought. I am one who's likely supportive of a renewal, something that we've had for the past generation. I think it has worked. I think the teams are good for Kansas City. But where you do that gap filling, how it gets funded, that's going to be something that's very important for Kansas City. Is the state of Missouri going to fill that gap, or could it fill that gap? I know that there are requests to the state of Missouri, I believe, to do so, both with the Chiefs and the Royals. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, God bless our legislature. They, they've been fine to us in some ways in the last year. I've disagreed with them uh, mightily in other ways. I would never put um, all of my, my eggs in the basket of the Missouri legislature is going to magically fill a several hundred million dollar gap just for the Kansas City Royals when the, the St. Louis Cardinals are kind of Missouri's team, at least for a lot of folks on that end of the state. When you have other needs and professional teams, when you have Missouri State, I'm sure that will have some asks. So I would look first to what is the local solution to it? What is the financing solution? And I would look to see that probably Missouri fills in some gaps thereafter. One final point here. Where do you want to see the new downtown baseball stadium? If, if Where's the best location from Quentin Lucas's point of view? 
You know, frankly, I think the the team that has masterfully uh, figured out everything in the last year is actually the Kansas City Current. Their investment on the riverfront, fairly drama-free, by the way, right? Finding the land, building up an area, coming in years ahead, you'll see more economic development towards it, but really seeing a vision of the Berkeley Riverfront Park that many have thought about for years, but finally delivering it. Right. I can't think of a, a better location, really, in Kansas City right now. In terms of where the Royals will go, all I would ask for, so I, I am a pro-downtown person, given the years of investment we put there, but we need to think about accessibility to public transportation, yeah. streetcar line being close is important. I, I am one who believes you don't need gigantic parking garages, but wayfinding on how parking works is an important part of the Kansas City discussion. So in months, so many words, I will say anything that links, I think, well to where we put other investments, what we need to stop doing in Kansas City, and while I'm not as bullish on some of the sites that are a little further away, including North Kansas City, and even there was some discussion on 18th and Vine, is we need to stop kind of building spread out districts. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we don't get the advantage of all the investment we've done. And and what I want to see us do is say, how do you build on, frankly, for example, if you're looking at the Star Printing Press, how do you build on Crown Center, Power and Light District, Crossroads fill-in, all that Transportation sort of stuff. Transportation, too. Right. All that stuff that, that we, the taxpayers, have helped largely fund for the mm -hmm. last 40 years. Mm -hmm. I think those are the things that say what a good district could be. Other thing that is not discussed enough, but I still care a lot about it, is how do we make sure we enhance the area around Arrowhead Stadium, right? Looking not just at the Blue River industrial area, but any number of other things. And I do believe in long-term public transit connections there. There are train routes that run through there. There are any number of things. If we're actually thinking about Kansas City for 2050, that's the conversation we need to have. And I think that's something that can speak to those in central and eastern Jackson County as to a why should we reinvest at this time. If there's a decision later, later this month to put this issue on the ballot again come April, will the taxpayers, will you finally know what the location, the preferred location of the new downtown baseball stadium would be? I would think it's imperative. Yeah. I, I, you know, I understand perhaps why real estate interests may say we don't want you to know because we don't want to do a, a land grab or something right. of that sort. But um, no, the, the people of, of Kansas City and this entire region deserve that. Frankly, I think they deserved that six months ago, a year ago. And so that, to me, is imperative for my support. And I would think for the support of most people here in Kansas City. Let's stay on a positive note in this new year and your recent visit with the new owners of the Country Club Plaza, and that's Ray Washburn and HB Village Partners. They're the owners of a luxury shopping district down in Dallas. Mayor, you left a meeting in Dallas a couple of weeks back. You came back and you were effusive in your praise for the new owner. Why? They care. They care about the Country Club Plaza. You know, over the last four years, you and I and others have talked about the plaza, its future, its challenges, right. all of the issues. And and the thing that was probably most concerning was how deficient it seemed that leadership and ownership of the plaza was in recent years. When you had significant incidents happen, when you had the Nordstrom pullout, you know, all the sorts of things I mentioned the other day, why not just put park space there temporarily now instead of a fence and a, yeah. and a dirt patch, which the right. people of Kansas City have seen for years? The plaza is an attractive, important district for this entire region. And I, I appreciated the fact that the ownership group down there got a few things that I think are very important. One, they understood a mix of local 
as well as high-end brands is key to the future of some area. You can't just be a, a, a mall like every other mall in the region. Right. I think they understood that public safety is, is, is more of a cooperative engagement than simply just saying, hey, you just throw more police here and we won't protect our garages and we won't work on lighting and we won't work on security presence. Well, I was down there at Highland Park in Dallas. I saw any number of security officers. I saw great lighting, great areas where you saw that there was some investment. And I think that they get actually the modernity that we need on the plaza. The idea that you need mixed uses, office, housing, housing in particular, housing of different levels. They talked about aligning with the city's affordable housing requirements, which I think is very Mm -hmm. important Mm -hmm. and enlightening, and actually having that sort of pedestrian activity that is important for us. And so to me, and you know, I don't always kind of rave about different economic development issues, but this is one where I see a group that says, We care about our investment. We care about the future of the plaza. And we get actually how special this district is rather than something just for profit extraction. I've gotten the impression hearing you talk about this, that on some level, this is potentially at least a huge headache off your board as you head into this new year with this, how how you feel about these new owners. I I think that's fair to say, frankly. You know, I I recognize that even though I have a a good while left as mayor, but three and a half years, but there are some things that I think we owe it to the people of this region to get done. I think we should have answers on the stadiums. I think we should have the plaza in a good position, continuing downtown improvement frankly, affordable housing citywide. And I think this plaza thing off of our board allows us to work on areas of true need in Kansas City. Let's talk about crime, but I also want to stay on a on the positive front here because we saw the record for mm-hmm. homicides uh, come down the pike over the weekend. But last year saw the emergence of a new strategy based on what the city of Omaha is doing just to our north. Omaha 360 operates under a series of pillars that include prevention, intervention, enforcement support, reentry programs, mayor. Omaha has has had uh, enormous success with this approach. How confident are you that Kansas City will, too, as it walks down the same path as Omaha or a similar path as Omaha has in recent years? You know, I am confident. I I think that there are a few things that we started doing in the last year to year and a half that have been important and transformative, if not far too late in some ways. One of which is understanding that you need to break down silos between different organizations and agencies. Omaha 360, if you're thinking about 360 degrees, is is entirely that, suggesting that everyone in the community has some role in our our public safety future. It can't just be, hey, we're just going to do this one thing of, of police alone being the answer. You know, one thing that I've done that's interesting during my time uh, in the U.S. Conference of Mayors is I do police ride-alongs in a lot of other cities. Hmm. The cities that have seen substantial crime drops, and I include in that our our friends to the east in Missouri, St. Louis, that has gone from, I believe, roughly 263 homicides back in 2020 to 158 last year. I mean, just an astonishing number and not something you hear a lot about. But when I was over there riding with police and social workers and and others who are doing follow-up after the nights of incidents, it is important to recognize that, yeah, it it takes a whole path. You have to invest in communities and in people and in neighborhoods long-term, not just in, let's say, these kind of active left right right politics of it's either the guns or it's it's more cops or something like that it takes a lot more and i think that's what kansas city's been missing i think the 360 program uh, violence interruption efforts that we're working on can make that difference it, does the city have the patience to see see through the implementation of something like omaha 360 here because you just suggested it's, it's going to take some time I think at this point we do. I think we we have to. There there are two or three interesting 
approaches that we can have in Kansas City. And when I think about violence and when I think about education, it's the same. And and I grew up here, as you know, and it seems sometimes we say, yeah, you know what, maybe the issues are just too tough. We're going to live in kind of our segregated lives, divided paths and what have you and say, you know, maybe if I'm not an impacted neighborhoods, violent crime isn't isn't hitting me. I have some optimism that people are moving beyond that and are saying, you know what, these types of numbers, when there are so many other things that are good that are happening in our community, we can't be the great city we want to be and have homicide records and have, even though we were lower in our numbers of non-fatal shootings, still have those types of outcomes, particularly when you are seeing St. Louis, Baltimore, not just Omaha, so many American cities, Detroit, right. that this year are seeing substantial declines in homicides. Kansas City can do it. I think it's us saying, let's get beyond even some of the politics that I abhor, state control of the police, for example, and find ways that we can be more cooperative. With Did it. you underestimate how tough this was going to be? Because you famously said yeah. when you became mayor that this was going to be a priority, that homicides were going to drop, but they've done nothing but go up in the years since. It, it has been more difficult by far. Um, I think that there is there are a few different issues that arose for us, none of which are excuses. They're just the way the world existed. I think in, in 2020 in Kansas City, to the detriment of all of us who were in positions in 2020, it was clear and apparent that there were disagreements with perhaps um, some in leadership from police chiefs to others. And so there was always this question of are the police chief, prosecutor, mayor, council, are they on the same page? Or are they not? I think we are in a better place now um, with that. And I think that's important. I think that uh, we, we've spent too much time looking for simplistic solutions to much more challenging issues. Um, and sometimes in Kansas City, we can, and everywhere, you can think of this, all right, there's this slogan, or there'll just be a plan, or there's some great right. crime reduction idea that we'll just take, we'll take comp stat of the early 1990s in New York and Baltimore and implement it here and it'll fix everything. It, it is not that easy. And so I think that we needed to do more of that. But, you know, I think probably the other challenge that we have faced is, is folks understanding that, that new solutions and approaches are vital for us. Mm -hmm. There's a reality right now that I would say to anyone who's listening right now, which is that the way police departments were built in 1985 with those types of numbers aren't really coming back. And they're not coming back in, in any major city in America, except for maybe Miami and, and Florida, which do some interesting different things. And so how do we, with a modern approach to policing, how do we have that engagement and that interaction? How do we say that, no, you know, having social workers doesn't detract from the law enforcement mission? Right. And how do you work on prevention with increasingly younger and younger assailants and victims? This has been much more challenging. It's something for which I still care greatly, and I think it's probably going to be the most important thing that we can do in these next four years. We'll be right back. Let's turn to housing, Mayor. The city council is expected to vote on a proposal this month aimed at ending discrimination in Kansas City housing. The proposal would prevent landlords from refusing to accept federal housing vouchers or uh, for rejecting potential renters solely based on their criminal records. This was originally slated to go before the council last month. Then it was moved to January. Is the council going to move on this this month? I do believe the council is going to make a decision uh, this month, as they should. 
This is something that I've introduced previously in past years. It, it was not able to get across the finish line. A number of groups, particularly KC tenants, have been fairly active in it. And I commend them on this, even though certainly we at times have had strong uh, disagreements right. in terms of policy in Kansas City. You know, a lot of people are trying to scare people in a number of different ways. But what it really just means is if you have a lawful source of income, you can find access to housing in this city. There are roughly 15,000 people on the uh, Housing Authority of Kansas City waiting list. 15,000. One may ask, where are they? They are in substandard housing. Some are homeless. There are any number of issues. Frankly, not unlike the crime issue we were discussing just a moment ago. Right. We too often look at the downstream homicide numbers, number of people homeless and others, and not actually looking at what started upstream in terms of the fact that somebody who is getting out of prison, let's say, can't find a place to live, that somebody who has lawful source of income and may rely on vouchers to help them get by can't find a place to live. And this is this is the response, though, to um, what some people will say, which is, well, does this mean that we'll have the most awful human beings ever, which, by the way, I have disagreements with describing people like that, but we have the most awful human beings who have to live somewhere. And the answer is no. That word solely does a lot of work in the ordinance. What we're saying is you need to look at a holistic application. Indeed, this is no different than what a lot of conservatives have commended the Supreme Court on recently when you look at other things like college admissions and saying, look at a holistic applicant. If there is someone who has a lawful source of income, but let's say wrote bad checks 20 years ago because they were just getting by. Is this something that should scratch them exclusively? And so that's where we're here with this. This is something that will help military veterans. This is something that helps folks who are on disability. This is something that will help us get access to housing in this city and is, is largely the city in this region that has stood up for affordable housing and opportunity for people. I think it's past time we do this, that we catch up with cities like Tempe, Arizona to get it done. Right. How do you oversee something like this? How do you get in the mind of a landlord to determine how he or she decided on what basis to reject a potential tenant. You know, and that's that's why I actually don't think the parade of horribles will ensue. It's it's rather elementary. All we're saying is that you can't put on your ad, you know, we don't accept Section 8 vouchers. We don't accept people on disability. We don't accept people on certain pension plans or retirement incomes. That's what we're saying. What we will not but landlords might potentially still reject people on that basis. They, they, they might. But what we are saying is show us your process. If you have a fair process, then we will find that it's fine. Really, college admissions is kind of the best comparison in some way. If a university has a fair process for folks, then we're not going in depth with their process. If, however, they have a strategic process that says we're going to exclude and exempt this large class of persons, that's where we find discrimination. And that's why I think this isn't actually us telling anyone that they have to rent to anyone. You know, uh, just briefly, my general counsel testified to this about what it really is about. And he mentioned it's anti-discrimination. He said, for example, you can't refuse to rent to him because he's Jewish, but it doesn't mean you have to like rent to him. There are still any number of reasons. What you can't say, though, is there's going to be one class or characteristic that exempts a whole group of people. Uh, is this proposal being modified because there seemed to be some anticipation that the council was going to adopt this ordinance last Last month in December, but then it was put off until January. So what's happening behind the scenes here? I think that there is always value in people taking the time to communicate about it, to share what it is and what it is not. 
Uh, I think that's primarily what's happening. But yes, there was optimism that it would get adopted almost immediately. But I would say this. This ordinance was introduced with six of 13 city council members sponsoring it. So you just need one more vote. You just need one more vote. But what I have seen in my years watching, and you've been watching longer than me, if you're one vote short at introduction, that always means there's going to be a lot more discussion and debate because there's some reason you weren't at the majority at the start. Mm. And so I think that you will see negotiation. You'll see a good amount of communication. But I think ultimately this policy passes. You know, the concern uh, among for the Kansas City Housing Authority head, uh, he's raised concern that the ordinance is, is confusing and some parts of the proposed law could wind up undermining the city's stock of affordable housing units. What about that? I, I wholly disagree. Um, the head of the Housing Authority is actually the former general counsel for the Housing Authority, and I think he's been the head of the Housing Authority for 23 years or so. And I think he understands any number of, of difficult and, and challenging housing provisions in federal law. This is anything but. What this says is don't discriminate. Don't put on an ad that X or Y need not apply. I mean, it is really not different than what we have seen in employment, in college admissions, in any number of other areas that we deal with each day in life. And so what it's saying is that. Now, does it encourage people to pull out of the market? You know, I think that's something that we always see threatened, but we have largely not seen. When we passed a Tenants' Bill of Rights, what, three and a half, four years ago, all these different folks said, no, you will not. People will stop renting. We're going to abandon the Kansas City market. We've seen the exact opposite. We've seen rents go up precipitously and, and a lot more people making a lot more money. Mm -hmm. I think that this is something that is quite understandable. We will have to set up a, a regulatory scheme, but largely it is just saying, are we seeing obvious cases of discrimination? To the extent that we can have a deterrent impact on that, I think this is just outstanding policy. From our text line, Mayor, listeners are wondering about your priorities for North of the river. Some suggest that maybe they only ever hear you talk about what's going on south of the river. I, I, I disagree, first of all, because just about everything with the exception of the plaza uh, and maybe the stadiums, although I can make those relevant to north of the river, these are citywide issues. Uh, and, you know, people often, and over the last few years, there's been much debate, particularly when we did redistricting of north versus south. I think when I'm talking about quality public transportation, when I'm talking about public safety and investing in neighborhoods, when we're talking about access to quality, affordable housing, that's not a south of the river issue. That is south, that is north, that is everywhere. I recently uh, led a fentanyl conference up at North Kansas City Hospital, outside of my even my jurisdiction, and was visiting with school kids, public high school kids from all of our Northland districts. And what I did not hear was them saying that this is a north or a south issue. It is a Kansas City issue. Frankly, it's a regional one and an American one. And so most of my days as mayor has been actually figuring out how can we fix the roads everywhere? How can we find housing for people everywhere? How can we build up business opportunity for Kansas City. And even if we're talking about the plaza or baseball or anything like that, the goal is how do we create more revenue that helps us actually address the challenges the city faces in every way. Here's a question about something in the Northland. We just experienced what I think was record holiday travel. How did our new terminal at KCI handle it? So many concerns about traffic backing up on folks who were coming up to pick up passengers who have just stepped off planes. How's that issue been resolved? You know, I have the fortune of taking my soldier nephew to the airport this morning for a painful 6.25 a.m. Uh, Alaska gosh. Airlines flight to Seattle back to <laughs> Fort Lewis. And, uh, you know, it, it was interesting. So as I was driving there about 4.45, uh, I saw some traffic queuing. Now, this was on the departure side. 
But all I did was went to the left lane and went around it, and you can get kind of to the front door very quickly. Right. I, I, you know, I think it is an ongoing adjustment. I hear different reviews all the time, but there are some realities to it. First of all, the the experience for the traveler inside the airport on the other side of security is just vastly improved. Somebody who gets stuck waiting, or even if you're not, right? I think you've seen efficiency. You are seeing airlines that are are being more receptive to KCI for future flights. You're seeing more economic activity, which is relevant to the city if not to our flying public all the time. I think the traffic issues are, are getting figured out. We're trying to encourage people, you know, you don't have to line up, you know, kind of right in front of it. And things have changed from the old KCI. You mm-hmm. can't sit out front for 30 minutes and wait for, you know, your friend or family member to come out the same way we did that I grew up doing when right. I, I first started flying here. But I think in less than a year of operation, which is hard to believe, you are seeing exceptional progress for Kansas City, great reviews on our airport. And it's something that we're all proud of. Vastly different topic here, Mayor. I understand you're getting a reputation around the country as Taylor Swift's new mayor. <laughs> What's been happening on that front? Well, you know, it is the darndest thing. I spoke. In, <laughs> it is the darndest I, thing. I spoke in Boston at a new mayor's conference. The mayors of Chicago and Philadelphia and all these big cities are there, Charlotte. And uh, I get a question from a mayor in Oregon, and she she said, you know, have you met Taylor Swift? Do you have comments on Taylor? Yeah, you know, all that sort of stuff. I mean, it, it, there is this phenomenon about Taylor Swift, and I will admit that I I was not a Swifty before, but, you know, look. I, <laughs> You're getting there. I, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. She keeps hanging out, and everywhere she goes, it, it becomes famous and popular right after. So uh, it has been interesting. I, I think – there are some naysayers in the audience, I'm sure, who will say, why do you talk about her and all of that? I think it's a positive story. It is it is shining a bright light on Kansas City just as a place to be. And so that is why you know we're excited about it. There are still issues, opportunities. There, I still go to work each day, not just building shrines to Taylor Swift. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, I think this is something that's been great for our community. And fortunately, we get to host a home playoff game, and she's had a great attendance record with the Chiefs so far. I was going to say, I've read that you've had a chance to meet her, but you've actually turned it down when you've been out at Arrowhead <laughs> for games. Why on earth would the mayor of Kansas City turn that down? I do not want to be the the fanboy type, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about it, and, and Steve, <laughs> you've had any number of super famous people on your show, and perhaps she's coming on sometime soon. That would be we the, hope tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be the news yeah. to break. Uh, first, there is this interesting social interaction thing of what do you say, right? <laughs> After you meet her, you, you know, so you'd be I like, totally you'd that. be like, hey, hi Taylor. Uh, well, mm-hmm. thank you, thank you for visiting us. I don't even know what it would be right. exactly, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then the other part is that there are so many people that come up to her. I have seen her getting mobbed by people and all of that, and she's incredibly kind about it. But, you know, I, I figure if she's got an extra minute of time, why not let her relax? Uh, or why not just let her chill for a minute so she knows this is a cool, sophisticated city like all the others where she can have a nice dinner and not be bothered? Well, it's really something. Just a couple more uh, final points before you got to scoot. Uh, is the free bus ride experience in Kansas City coming to an end? No, no. You know, the, the, you don't want it to, but some people think it I, might. I don't believe it is. And here's, here's my biggest concern with that conversation in toto. There is this blame the poor people approach we have to so many things that we have in society. And and right now, the conversation about getting rid of free buses is to say that, oh, we've had more criminal incidents and other issues and activities on the bus. First of all, for any of us who have ridden the bus for years or waited at bus stops, sometimes having congregations of persons at bus stops, some of whom have participated in unlawful activities, is not a new thing. 
Uh, I mean, for you know, and I, I say that with respect to our bus system and others. Another thing, though, that I find concerning is there are so many positives. I have talked to people who said, wow, I, I didn't actually have bus fare. I could get to where I needed to be. So that is a better positive for us. And if the question is safety, there are ways to address that without just kicking out all the folks who frankly rely on our free fare system. You know, if we added uh, bus fares, would we then be able to add more routes and no, a better on-time no, experience? No. You know, that's that's another thing that, that, again, the poor people are getting blamed for, which, you know, just angers me greatly because it, it our operational issues does not relate to the several million dollars of income perhaps lost in revenue cap, in, in fare capture. It is instead because of, frankly, years-long operational issues and concerns the way we build in our region, I mean, I say this with great respect to my friends, let's say in Kansas, for example, we're building a Panasonic plant, not particularly close to, you know, high public transit routes. That means that to the extent there is public transit out that way, you have to build a special route that creates inefficiency in this system. We do that in Kansas City, Missouri all the time, too. Right. And so I think that is more of a concern than simply free fares, which are making a difference in the lives of people, have saved thousands of dollars for individual Kansas Cityans. So when you finally meet Taylor Swift, tell her to come on to up to date. We're waiting for her. We're ready to go anytime she's ready. I would love to have her here. And then you would become like the most famous studio in all of there Kansas City. There you go. City. Absolutely. You already are, though. Yeah, all we are. <laughs> Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas. Mayor, always appreciate it. Happy New Year to you. Uh, good luck this year. Okay? Happy New Year. We're all pulling for you. Thanks. You bet. Up to Date is a production of KCUR 89.3. The program is produced by Zach Wilson, Elizabeth Ruiz, Claudia Brancart, and Hallie Jackson. Paul Nakatura is our announcer and engineer. The theme music was composed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.